This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the construction settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now, join Ringler Radio host, Larry Cohen. Welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, from Ringler's Northeast Operations, and I'm awfully glad you could join us again today. Now, this edition of Ringler Radio is coming to you from the 2007 annual meeting of the American Association for Justice being held right here in beautiful downtown Chicago, Illinois. And for those of you who have not been to Chicago lately, I recommend you come because they've really spruced it up. It's the best I've seen it in a long, long time. I have to give my kudos to Mayor Daly. And also remember, you can hear all the Ringler Radio shows on our website, ringlerassociates.com or on the legaltalknetwork.com. And remember, you can also get CLE credit for listening to Ringler Radio on Law.com's CLE Center. Well, with me today as my uh, co-host is a familiar person to you if you've been listening to some of these shows. It's Ken Claypack from our Chicago office. Ken's a settlement annuity specialist, and prior to joining Ringler, he's practiced law in the Chicago area for over 19 years. And for the past seven years, he was a partner in the law firm of McArdle, Frost, and Claypack specializing in representing plaintiffs in wrongful death and catastrophic injury cases. You're becoming a real regular pro on this uh, show here, Ken. Uh, that's because you're my mentor, Larry. <laughs> I just wish my White Sox were doing as well as your Red Sox right now. Well, uh, I, I think that's only a dream for you, okay? For <laughs> sure. Also, well, today, uh, Ken, we're going we're gonna to tackle a real interesting subject here, and it's somewhat confusing to a lot of folks, but I think we're going to straighten it out for them. It's the uh, area of special needs trust, and our expert guest is Michael Durkin. Mike's a partner in and a member of Peterson and Howe Wealth Preservation Practice Group right here in Chicago. He's been practicing law since 1983, focuses his practice in the areas of estate planning, probate, and taxation. And as an estate planning attorney for many successful entrepreneurs, professionals, executives, and their families, Michael's had an opportunity to represent clients in a wide variety of probate, trust, and taxation issues. That sounds really interesting to me, Mike, but boy, I'm glad I'm not doing it. <laughs> Mike, thanks. Uh, welcome to Ringler Radio. Larry, thank you for having me here, and uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about one of my favorite topics, and that's special needs trust, because while helping wealthy people preserve their wealth is rewarding, there's nothing more rewarding to me than helping a disabled person preserve their wealth and maximize their care and support. Well, that's, that's interesting, and uh, we're, I'm, I'm happy you said that, uh, and in that light, why don't you give us uh, give our audience an overview of just what is a special needs trust? Give it a little primer on that. Sure, Larry. Um, special needs trusts, sometimes called supplemental needs trusts, are trusts that are structured to provide benefits for a beneficiary that are in addition to or supplement benefits provided by government programs like Medicaid or supplemental security income. The, those government programs provide for the basic support and maintenance of the beneficiary recipient and are based on need. To be eligible for the resources of the re- the, re- uh, the recipient must stay below the threshold amount set by the program. So the problem is, if a disabled person has resources, money available to them, and we'll talk about the different situations that might come up when they sure. do, mm-hmm. how do they keep these vital government programs? 
Right. So in other words, if they get a claim settlement, for example, and those that claim settlement, the funds from that would disqualify them typically from these governmental programs, your job is to help through the special needs trust, help preserve those benefits. Initially, the job is to you know create the trust and plan for the situation where there's no cessation of benefits. So if there's a judgment or an inheritance, then the child doesn't, or the disabled adult doesn't immediately lose their benefits and they're, they're, they're essentially removed from the nursing home or the, uh, the care support in the home leaves because the government uh, agencies that provide it cut the benefits cut off. Cut the benefits off. Are there different types of uh, special needs trust, Mike? Well, sure. There's there's two broad categories of special needs trusts, and then there's subcategories within it. Then uh, there's supplemental. There's third-party special needs trusts, and then there's self-settled special needs trusts. Third-party special needs trusts typically are trusts that are created by family members or close friends, where the money that is going to be devised or gifted to the disabled person are put in a trust. And then self-settled special needs trusts are trusts that are created to hold the own asset, the assets of the disabled person. And the structure and the terms of those trusts are, are very different. And as we proceed in this discussion, we want, I want to emphasize to you the importance of knowing which type of situation you have because it can significantly affect how much of the funds are left at, down the road. Interesting. Well, what, what qualifies someone for uh, the special needs trust treatment? I know the government has a lot of qualifications. There are rules that need to be followed, aren't there, to have uh, a special needs trust? In other words, one of the ones I remember is that you have to be under 65 years old. Correct. And, and there, need, there, need to be, there are other rules. G- give us a, a list of the, the, maybe the, the two or three more important things to consider. Well, maybe we should take a step back. Sure. And what we're trying to do here is preserve benefits, okay? And so let's talk about the benefits we're trying to preserve and the situations that arise that we need to plan for to keep the, uh, those benefits flowing to our, our disabled person. The two major benefit programs that we typically plan for maintaining while creating a special needs trust are Medicaid and Supplemental Security Income. These are needs-based, meaning the recipients must have limited income and resources. Obviously, if uh, Ken and when he was practicing or some of the other fine trial lawyers that have been on your program, when they get a big judgment for malpractice or a, uh, a vehicle collision, you know, once that money comes in, the needs base ends. And, um, you know, that the family is concerned that the judgment award may not be sufficient to provide for the disabled person's care throughout his or her lifetime. Um, the other major programs are Social Security, Disability Insurance, and Medicare. Neither uh, Social, Social Security Disability Insurance is, some, is referred to as SSDI. Uh, neither SSDI nor Medicare are needs-based, but uh, are, are important to consider because that's part of the total benefit package that need, need to be assessed as to whether a special needs trust is appropriate or not. So what you're really saying then is that when someone receives a settlement uh, in, in a, let's say, a personal injury case, which is what we're really talking about here right. in this context, they may also be receiving Medicare, which is not needs-based. Correct. And they may be receiving SSDI, which is also not needs-based. Correct. And they may be able to continue with those benefits coupled with the settlement funds. You're using that to evaluate 
if you do need to then create a trust to protect the governmental benefits that are out there. Perfect. Okay. That's it. That's mm-hmm. right. Uh, Mike, under that setting, ideally, when should you get involved in the case? Prior to being settled as settlement discussions are going on, when's the perfect time and the perfect setting? I'm viewed as a group of attorneys called the probate lawyers. And the probate lawyers um, typically get involved after a judgment or on a settlement. And the engagement typically begins with consultations with the family, sometimes a disabled person if they can direct uh, their affairs, uh, and um, and the trial attorney. And uh, discussions are entered into regarding whether a special needs trust is appropriate, where it should be created, whether it's through the courts or it can be done by a private arrangement. If the person is not legally disabled, it can be created by private arrangement. If the person is legally disabled, it has to be done in Cook County, Illinois, through a court order. Who typically becomes the trustee? Are there rules and regulations as to who, who should or can be the trustee and who cannot be the trustee? Okay. For a private, well, let, let's, let's discuss the two types of special needs trusts that are used uh, when we're using a self-settled special needs trust, meaning the assets of the disabled person. So this would be in the context of a judgment or award and the disabled person's own assets are available to him or her. Um, Is that also called the OBRA trust? Correct. Right. And um, special needs planning prior to 1993 was done through private trusts and um, expectations that the trust terms would keep the beneficiary eligible for benefits going forward, but there was no certainty. And many of those trusts were challenged over the years by the government agencies saying that they were resources or assets of the disabled person and benefits would be denied. Um, There was a growing um, concern by the the, the disabled care community, the trial lawyers, that this uh, was not an adequate solution, that there had to be some form of a program to allow these awards and allow other situations to be created to supplement the government programs. In 1993, uh, legislation was passed that created statutory authorization for special needs trusts for self-settled trusts. And the key provision in the self-settled trust legislation is that at the beneficiary's death, the Department of Public Aid must be repaid for all of the disbursements they have made over the beneficiary's lifetime. And that's the key difference between a self-settled trust and a third-party trust. Third-party trust, so that's when mom or dad creates a trust for their son's or daughter's benefit. On the beneficiary's passing, the Department of Public Aid or any other government agency doesn't have to be reimbursed. But with the person's own self-settled trust and assets, the reimbursement has to occur. We're talking in this context of uh, mostly personal injury litigation of the self-centered trust. Self-settled trust. Self-settled trust because it's the settlement funds from the case that the individual is pursuing that are going to be used to fund this trust. And to continue on with that thought, then I'll get back to who should be the trustee, but it was important to lay that background. Um, When you create a self-settled trust for 
assist a, a beneficiary in creating a self-settled trust, we always counsel the family in revising their estate plan to create the third-party trust. So then when mom or dad or brother or sister pass away and they leave an inheritance for their, their family member who's a disabled person, they should leave it in the form of a third-party trust. So, so good planning involves a third-party trust from family resources and a self-settled trust from the judgment or ward. Because you don't want the inheritance to flow into that self-settled trust and then to be taken by the governmental entity. Correct, or, or right. go directly to the uh, beneficiary, right. uh, disabled person, and then the benefits cease. Because of the disqualification aspect right. of getting those funds, yeah, it's Correct. kind of a it's kind of a Rubik's cube that you have Correct. to figure Correct. out. Now, so we have two types of statutory trusts. There's the individual OBRA trusts that are the typical arrangement when there's a large judgment or award. There is no law or requirement as to who can be the trustee. So you have to look at Illinois law and Illinois law or the state where the uh, person resides. Uh, provisions regarding trustees, and it can be an individual or corporation or non-for-profit organization. Can it be a relative? It can be a relative. Now, there's, there's a lot of risk in being a trustee because if the trustee does not properly reimburse the Department of Public Aid and the other government agencies, they're personally liable. So if... The, an individual is the trustee of the OBRA Special Needs Trust and makes disbursements that are unauthorized, mm-hmm. maybe to a third party other than the beneficiary, yeah. that person could be personally liable for that disbursement. Exactly. If, if the Department of Public Aid is not fully reimbursed at the beneficiary's passing. I would assume then most of the times it's not an individual that you would recommend being appointed the trustee. In my opinion, it's, 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 it's almost always in the best interests of the beneficiary and the family to have a corporate trustee act. If the family wants to participate in investment and distribution decisions, they can be a co-trustee. Okay. So some professional trustee makes a lot of sense. Right. Now, there's, I'm sure in each special needs trust, there's language that needs to be put into the trust that provides and protects all these, these issues and these assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, the language that I, I recall is the language that speaks about what the funds can be used for. Correct. In other words, the so-called special needs of the individual and not the food, clothing, and shelter, normal needs. Correct. I've always felt that that gets a little hazy at times because the mm-hmm. trustee is then being asked to you know, come down on what side of the, of, of the benefit is it that it's being asked for. Is it a special need or a normal need, and how right. does that work? Is that an issue? It is an issue, and, and, and the way we plan for it, because, Larry, you hit the nail on the head, it's a great issue, is we notify the attorney general for the state of Illinois or the, or the other state. We let them review the trust, and we get their approval for the trust and the continuation of benefits. So. What we, the starting point is getting the state regulators oh, okay. to approve the trust and agree that this trust conforms to the statutory requirements and that benefits won't be uh, terminated. Okay. Then the other issue is the application of the trust terms yes. to the particular circumstances. And what we in Cook County do and in the surrounding counties of Illinois, but the practices may be different in other jurisdictions, is 
uh, we treat these trust estates like their guardianship estates, and we provide accountings to the court and to the state regulatory authorities. They see the accountings. They have an opportunity to object, and then any exposure to whether these disbursements are being made improperly are on a very short-term basis. They're uh, within a year's time period. So you have an annual accounting, essentially, that gets looked at? That gets looked at by the court, and that in Illinois, the Illinois Attorney General is a party to the proceeding and can object as to whether the application of the funds is inappropriate. I think our audience would be interested to know, have you, in your experience, have you seen during that objection period, have things been knocked out? Have things been uh, denied because they thought it was overreaching, uh, uh, overreaching the line of what was permissible? I've never had it go that far, but I have had the attorney general question whether the disbursements exceeded the authority in the trust, and we have worked out going forward with the attorney general uh, policies on certain specific situations. And typically it involves um, housing for right. the ward where the other family members have indirect benefits from it. It involves um, compensation to the family members for services they provide to the ward. Good. Uh, it involves um, training programs for family members and the guardian of the person. Um, many times we send uh, family members to, to different specific programs across the country to learn how to care for their relative and uh, sometimes those disbursements are called into question by the Attorney General. Sure. I, I just want to back up for a minute, Mike. Maybe it's my lawyer's head on. Point. Typically, how long does it take to get that Attorney General approval of the special needs trust? Um, typically, we give them five days' notice to the hearing. Okay. And that's so it. That you know, quickly. Yeah, they look at it pretty quickly. If they need time to, to um, look at it, they will either call me or appear in court and ask for a continuance. But... Uh, they're very, they tend to be very responsive and, uh, and very thoughtful in their comments. I'm going to change directions a little bit here, Mike, seeing how we're at Ringler Radio. I right. have a question as to uh, how are special needs uh, trust funded? I know one way at least, but if you could elaborate on that. Okay. Well, we're going to we're, – we're, we're, we're again back in the, in, the, in, the, in the genre of the self-settled trust. Yes. Okay. Let's stay in that. So, let's stay in that. Um, if if the beneficiary, if the disabled person has any other assets, in other words, we're going to try to create eligibility for Medicaid, we need to transfer their existing assets into a OBRA qualified special needs trust. Right. Okay. Uh, if there is a guardianship proceeding, we would go in, petition the court, ask for authority to create the special needs trust, and state our reasons as to why we think it's in the best interest of the disabled person to create the trust. Once the court grants us that authority and we create the trust, then we have an irrevocable assignment of all of the assets of the beneficiary into the trust. Okay. Then let's say in that same situation that beneficiary receives an award from a personal injury action that's gone on for six, eight years, which you know I've had a number of times, then um, we have we work with the trial lawyer to have the award um, sent directly to the OBRA trust and not to the beneficiary. Well, that that's critical. That is it's critical. Otherwise, the benefits will be terminated. Exactly. Yeah. One of the things we see, though, in in, in our and, and Ken was alluding to it, is that when you, the settlement is about to get get dispersed, 
obviously one of the ways it can get dispersed is in, in pure cash. The cash right. gets put into the uh, special needs trust mm-hmm. to protect those uh, government benefits. Right. But in our world of structured settlements, obviously a lot of these cases get structured. And right. the annuity company actually is directed to send the annuity checks, the monthly checks, for example, directly to the special needs trust. So that, right. that also works as well. One of, the, one of the questions often comes up, Mike, that if, if a big hunk of, of cash is sitting in that trust, of course, that trust is then taxed you know, and on the benefits that are earned. So mm-hmm. that tax can be somewhat interesting and, and, and large. That's why a lot of the times these annuities, because they're in pieces, come in and fund as the pieces get used. Right. The corpus sitting there is not as large so that the taxes become smaller. And also the, the remainder in that trust, theoretically, would not be as great in the event of death. Is that, is that what you found? Correct. Well, the tax benefits are numerous because the structured settlement provides for tax an internal free. tax rebuildup. Right. Now, our, the... OBRA self-settled trusts are structured as grantor trusts. So the income earned by the OBRA trust is income of the disabled person. And we have provisions in our trust that direct the trustee to pay the individual's income tax liabilities, and that doesn't create a termination of benefits. Okay, that's cool. Mm -hmm. So that's how that works. But uh, I agree with you that the you know the de- the delay of the receipt of the income of the, of the funds through a structure and the tax free buildup can enhance the ultimate value of the amount of funds available for the disabled person over the uh, over his or her lifetime. Well, that's music to our ears, isn't mm-hmm. it? Well, let's talk about uh, when to establish this trust. You you've got uh, you've got the case. The case is about to get settled. Someone's going to approach you, Mike, and say, Mike, uh, there's a need here for a special needs trust because the individual is currently on Medicaid. Uh, One of the the issues you just raised is that by creating a special needs trust, there is an independent trustee appointed so that the family members kind of lose control to some extent over those dollars that are are being used for the settlement. Of course, it's a good thing for for the continuation of the governmental benefits. But have you ever seen a situation where there was so much money in the settlement itself that the the fact that the governmental benefits might get knocked out isn't as big a concern for the family, and therefore they don't need the special needs trust and they keep control of the funds? Correct. I, I've had a number of those cases, and in I would say the majority of them, and you can't put a dollar limit, a dollar number on it because each situation is unique in terms of how much care is needed. Um, we have for the most part, not created a special needs trust, but there are circumstances where we've had very large estates and awards where we have created the special needs trust. In Illinois, there's no dollar limit on the size of the special needs trust. I have created them for disabled persons where the value of the trust with um, structured settle- the present value of structured settlement payments and of future awards exceeds $10 million. Sure. Sure. Have you seen that, Ken, in some of those cases you've had? Uh, a few. Good. But, uh, and I'll direct this a little later, but, uh, you know, it's my experience as an attorney and a structured settlement broker that not a lot of plaintiff's attorneys actually understand a special needs trust and, you know, avoid them. I don't know if that's the right word. Well, we're going to get into that because uh, I think that's an important issue uh, right after we take a short break so we can hear from some of the folks that make Ringler Radio possible So let's do that. Take a short hiatus here, and we'll be back in just about a minute with more from Ken and Mike on the issue of special needs trust. See you in a minute. 
This is Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. This is Ringler Radio. Internet radio from Ringler Associates, placing more than $18 billion in structures over the past 30 years, and one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. Ringler Radio is produced by broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to the Legal Talk Network. It's free. We invite you to listen to our other shows on the Legal Talk Network and become a member. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Did you know Ringler Radio is one of the top three rated shows in iTunes? Thanks to all of our listeners who download all the Ringler Radio shows. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? Including Ringler Radio. Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's CLECenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, along with my colleague today, Ken Claypack. Ken's the settlement annuity specialist in our Chicago office and does a great job. And also joining us is our special guest, Mike Durkin. Mike's a partner and member of Peterson and Haupt's Wealth Preservation Practice Group here in Chicago. And our topic has been special needs trust, and it's uh, quite an extensive topic, and we could probably talk for days on it. But uh, it's an important topic to talk about. Yeah, Mike, uh, when we left for the commercial break, I was saying it was my experience as a annuity broker and even as a personal injury attorney that there are some common misunderstandings when it comes to special needs trust. Uh, what has been your experience? One of the misunderstandings is that the funds are so restricted that the family and the ward never really has access to them during the ward's lifetime and uh, that the benefits of the trust may be outweighed by the burdens. Um, In my experience, uh, there is certainly enough flexibility in the administration of the trust where funds can be put to use consistent with the family's objectives in the care of the child Uh, and not disqualify the child from benefits, that those concerns can be overcome and uh, the family can agree that the special needs trust is in the best interest of the ward. Okay. Uh, The one thing you can't do is is, is estate and gift tax plan. And um, with large estates, when it's clear there are sufficient funds, one of the reasons why people do not pursue over a special needs trust is that they want to employ estate planning and gift planning in the guardianship estate to minimize estate taxes. But that's in a situation where uh, everyone is is 
is confident that the assets are sufficient. I don't know if I'm ever confident that the assets are sufficient to provide for a disabled ward. Well, would that concern be because that assets that are sitting in the special needs trust need to be repaid to Medicaid, and therefore you can't really do estate planning at that point? No, and that's a statutory requirement. That in, in an OBRA special needs trust, only the disabled person can be a beneficiary. Oh, okay. So we can't make annual gifts to family members. Um, we can't buy homes for other family members to live in um, unless they provide fair market rent. Right. Although, although from those funds, the existing home that the disabled person lives in can be enhanced. That, Correct. In, in reality, benefits everybody that in the family. That's an indirect benefit. Indirect and then the benefit. family um, would have to create an arrangement through the trust as to their uh, occupancy rights. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, Mike, you were talking about some of the larger estates that you've handled with right. the special uh, needs trust. Is there a range that's too low for a special needs trust? It, it's market-based, and it's market-based based on who will act as the trustee. And um, at a certain dollar level in a certain region, corporate trustees will not want to take on the job of being the OBRA trustee because it's not a sufficient amount of assets to justify their business you know, to fall within their business plan. When you have that, then your 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 decision tree goes to whether you have a individual trust with a family member as trustee. But there's risks, as we talked about, in right. doing that, and uh, there's continuity issues. What if the trustee doesn't outlive the beneficiary? You have to provide for replacement, and uh, and 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 and, hu- and in very few individuals are skilled in being trustees because you have to know trust law, tax law, and in this case all the, the myriad of laws regarding eligibility of benefits. Uh, so it's difficult to find an individual that really understands all of the uh, responsibilities of being a trustee. Mike, before we leave our discussion today, I, I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about pooled special needs trusts. What are they and how are they, how are they different? Well, that is the alternative when a trust is or an, an estate is too small to have a private cor- a trust with a corporate trustee. And a pooled trust is, uh, is, is another statutory arrangement where you can become a member of a pooled trust arrangement. And um, the, the pooled trusts are administered by a not-for-profit organization and typically in conjunction with a corporate trustee. And it's in many ways similar to being a part of a mutual fund. You buy into the pooled fund as an account. You join into the uh, pooled fund arrangement. You are not acting as trustee. You have no control over the investments. You're, you, you receive an investment return that is determined by the, um, the trustees of the pooled fund. And, and, but you, you do have um, the right to participate through recommendations as to disbursements, but the trustee ultimately makes the disbursements. Uh, we find this to be very popular for modest size awards, um, and it, I won't give a dollar number because it varies from community to community as to when it's appropriate to use it. But I think the the approach is is to go to the corporate trustees, see if they will take on the trust arrangement. If they will not, then you go to the the local organizations that sponsor the pool trusts and see if they will take you on. And, and then that you know, might be your solution to the problem. Another benefit of a pool trust is that um, getting away from personal injury awards, one of the 
other situations where someone wants to be part of an OBRA trust is, is when they become aged and near disability and they want to take their hard-earned earned assets and put them into an OBRA trust to get on public aid for nursing home care and other benefits. And um, there's an age restriction under the OBRA laws for that, and it's age 65. Right. But that age restriction does not apply to pooled trust arrangements. So if you have an elderly person who needs to be on public benefits because they're rapidly losing all of their resources and the resources that they have are, are vital to supplementing the care that government agencies will provide, a pooled, being a member of a pooled trust account arrangement under OBRA can be very um, uh, satisfactory to reaching all their objectives. Well, I think that's a, what you just raised at the end here is a subject for a, a whole other show, this whole concept of the elderly. Not, nothing to do with, let's say, settlement issues, but Correct. how you protect elderly folks getting into nursing homes and yet not dissipating an entire asset base that they've built up over the years. So Correct. Very, very interesting stuff. And I think mm-hmm. if anybody has any questions about the OBRA Trust, the Special Needs Trust, the pool trust, the aged, the state right. planning. I think right. uh, you're you'd be the guy to call. So, how would people get in touch with you, Mike, if they wanted to do that? Um, they can. You can reach me on my uh, my contact information is on our website, petersonhop.com. My phone number is three one two two six one twenty one thirty or m durkin at petersonhop.com. And for all of you uh, who are spelling challenged, hopped is. How do you spell that again? H is in Harry O U P T. Yeah, and that, Peterson's all ease. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, how does somebody reach you? I can be reached at uh, kclaypeck at ringlerassociates.com, 1-800-332-0427. Remember, you can reach all Ringler Associates at ringlerassociates.com, all of their pictures and bios. It's, it's fun to go there and take a look. I'm Larry Cohen. You can reach me at 978-974-9922. And... Uh, I want to thank all of you for listening today. It's been a very enlightening discussion with Mike, and uh, I I encourage you to contact him uh, if you need uh, more information. In the meantime, why don't you all go out now and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates' experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential.